1: I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Cancer Support Community is a global nonprofit network of 175 locations, including Cancer Support Community and Guilded Club Centers and hospital and healthcare partners. These locations, along with the toll-free helpline, digital services, and educational materials, provide $50 million in free support services to patients and families every year. I'm certain that everyone tuning into the show knows that receiving a cancer diagnosis is a life-changing experience. For a child who is told they have cancer, the impact is even greater. As I thought about today's show, I remembered the wonderful poem On Turning Ten by Billy Collins about the end of childhood and innocence. He ends with these poignant verses. It seems only yesterday I used to believe there was nothing under my skin but light. If you cut me, I could shine but now when I fall upon the sidewalks of life, I skin my knees, I bleed. Today, you are going to meet two inspiring women who were both diagnosed with cancerous children. Just as the poem said, they may have bled, but I think everyone will agree that now they shine. Both are in their 20s and they are using that experience to fuel their passion and their purpose. You'll be meeting Mama Cax first and later we'll be joined by Alona Karafin. So Mama Cax, she was born Caxme Brutus, she's a 29-year-old Haitian-American blogger, advocate, motivational speaker, and model represented by JAG Models. She was 14 years old when she was diagnosed with bone and lung cancer. Eventually, she lost her right leg when it was amputated at the hip. Fast forward a few years and Mama Cax is studying in New York, France, Tunis, and Rome. She holds both a BA and MA in International Studies. In September 2016, under the Obama administration, she was invited to the White House to walk in the first ever White House fashion show. The event was a celebration of inclusive design, assistance, assistive technology, and prosthetics. Mama Cags uses social media as a platform to talk about body positivity, but most importantly, to dismantle the image of what people with di- disabilities should be or should look like. Her innovative prosthetic leg and message of self-love has landed her features in magazines like Teen Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Essence Magazine, and Glamour. Welcome to the show, Mama Cax. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, um, Mama Cax, when you were diagnosed with cancer and then told that you would need to amputate your leg, did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that your journey would lead to walking one of the world's most elite fashion runways and appearing in Vogue magazine? At that time, what did you think your future held?
2: Oh, I mean, not at all. So I was 14 when I was diagnosed and living in Haiti. And at that point, I did not even know what cancer was. Uh, that's probably the most yeah. shocking part of the whole story.
3: Yeah, um, I didn't uh, know what
2: it was, what, how serious um, my condition was until I went to the hospital and did all the testing. And I think it took quite some time to finally come up with a diagnosis. Um, they did not expect me to live past three weeks at this point. Um, So, I was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a severe form of bone cancer, and later on that metastasized to the lungs. And Mm -hmm. I definitely did not imagine that I would be on the cover of Teen Vogue or being in the fashion industry um, whatsoever.
1: Wow. It's unbelievable. So, take us back a little more to that time, Mama Cax. Take us back in time and tell us... When did you or your family begin to suspect that something was wrong? What symptoms were you experiencing, and and who did you turn to for help?
2: Yeah, so I it's hard to pinpoint the exact moment, but for mm. me, I'd say um, what from what I recall, I was like you know regular child playing hide and seek, and at some point, my friend um, pulled a chair that I was about to sit on, and I fell down. And from yeah. that moment on, I started having sort of like severe um, back pain, which I always sort of like associated with the fall. Yeah. And following that, I I sort of, I, I think I just kept falling, which later on I found out that when you have cancer in certain areas of your body, then your body's just like getting weak and you're prone to um, falling in general. So that was kind of how it started. Um, I knew something was wrong. Doctors could not diagnose me at some point. They thought it was just a fractured bone. Um, but I always tell people that even though a doctor has spent, you know, a decade in school, just you being in your body, you know it better than anyone else. Um, so I think maybe when I was about 15, um, that's when they realized it was a tumor. And at this point, we were sort of like hoping it wasn't um, a cancerous tumor, which it was. And following that, it was just sort of like a long journey through chemotherapy and just being in hospitals for almost half a year. And and how,
1: how long into that journey did they tell you that your leg needed to be amputated? How old were you at that time?
2: Um, I mean, everything happened between the age of 14 and 16. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. right at the beginning, I knew it was one of the options that I had, but I was mm-hmm. off- also offered an option of doing a hip replacement. And that operation entailed um, taking out the part of the bone that was affected and replacing that with a metal. And um, when I was given that choice, obviously in my head, I had to pick you know, the hip replacement. Yeah. But when I sort of consulted my surgeon... I remember that very clearly. She said, if I was her niece, she would recommend that I do the imputation because there's a high risk success rate and recovery time is much quicker. And I mean, I, I guess at just 15, it was such a hard decision, just like cutting off my leg. To me, that meant the end of my life. So mm-hmm. I was resilient. I really wanted to try um, the hip replacement. So I called a dear uncle of mine. Um, Who I was very close with, and I told him the situation and asked him for advice. So he told me that he would suggest I do the hip replacement because then I could never look back in time and say, I wish I had Mm -hmm. tried that. Mm
4: -hmm. So So
2: it's a step along the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So I basically took his advice to heart and decided to do it. Um, But unfortunately, it did not work because i think it had a 30% um, success rate so mm-hmm. it didn't work out so my my next solution was the imputation.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so mama Cax, you were dealing with so much for a teenager for anybody truthfully but especially for a teenager when you know so much going on when you're a teenager right you're 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 interested mm-hmm. in boys and you're dating and you're getting pimples and you're dealing you know and and you're dealing with a with a, with a major major um, health issue and major change to your body. So how did you cope during that time? Um, how was your experience impacting your relationship with your family and friends? Were you still going to school? You know, what, what were the emotions there? What was that like for you? Well,
2: wow, a, a lot had to change um, during that time. Um, when I first started getting sick, I actually was living in Haiti and mm-hmm. moved to the U.S. Um, I'd say almost the six to eight months after the initial pain started mm-hmm. and I basically had to leave all my friends, um, back in Haiti and I have four younger sisters. So I also had to, um, move here without them, um, uh, mm-hmm. shortly after they did join me. But I would say, um, what really got me through this whole time was knowing that I was the eldest sister and that I had to stay strong so that, um, no one else sort of, like, crumbled. Um, I've always been the, the strong one, and using by example, I just always, you know, had to stay strong for them. But also when it comes to school, I, I was homeschooled or um, sometimes the instructor would come to the hospital and continue, um, to continue with my education. So basically we tried keeping a sense of normalcy, um, but, yeah, I definitely had a great support system.
1: Mm -hmm. Did you feel did you feel kind of a a transition period where you sort of transitioned to to a normal or to a new normal where you started getting reengaged, where you started getting back into routines, where you, you know, was there a period Mm -hmm. that you felt like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to get into life here?
2: Frankly, I felt like my transition lasted three years. It wasn't yeah. I didn't just step out of the hospital and then just study living again. I had to learn how to make friends. I had to learn how to speak to people who were my age. Because being in a hospital, I only spoke to nurses and doctors and my sisters. So that was sort of like a transition in itself. And then finally being out and about and also going to school. So um, really being involved in physical therapy and occupational therapy, to just sort of like try to maintain a sense of dignity, trying to do things on my own. Um, So I'd say all of that, and I never really stopped transitioning probably up until I was 21. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think when you're diagnosed so early, you focus so much about staying alive that you don't really think about your future. Um, And whereas a lot of my friends were teenagers had time to do internships, figure out what they love, figure out what kind of career they want to be into. I was just trying to figure out how to, you know, survive the next day. So here I was from 18 to 21, really trying to figure out what I wanted out of life.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. Um, We've got a couple minutes until our break
1: here, Mama Cax. but um, how did you finally sort of emerge from that shell? And how did you finally... Get past that fear of dying. Get get. Um, did you have an aha moment, or, or you know, did you say, look, I'm I'm gonna be okay. I'm I'm chugging ahead. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna find my path in life.
2: I think I had an aha year. <laughs> um, <laughs> it got to a point where I realized I was. I, I had started university. I didn't have any friends. I was miserable dealing with sort of like trying to be social, but also realizing that my body does not look the same as the time before surgery and trying to deal with the aftermath of that and realizing that I hated this body I was in, making me depressed. And I decided I wanted to change that. So, I mean, definitely took several steps, but my first step was switching universities altogether so that Mm. I was able to sort of reinvent myself. And that's how I came up with the name Mamacax. And to me, Mamacax was supposed to be this of like older role model that was supposed to guide me through life and give me advice it was this little voice more mature little voice inside my head and I'd say eight years later I would finally become her Mm,
1: mm, mm. and how lucky that we're talking to her today Uh, we're going to take a quick (laughs) break here (laughs) We're gonna take a quick break here. We're talking to uh, two phenomenal women today. Uh, We're chatting with Mama Cack. She was diagnosed uh, when she was 14 years old with bone uh, and then lung cancer. Eventually, she lost her right leg uh, when it was amputated at the hip. She's talking to us today a little bit about her journey Uh, through that very difficult and dark time um, and how she emerged from that and has made an incredible uh, career in New York City and is inspiring uh, young women all over the world. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Thiboldo. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more conversation with Mama Kangs.
5: Cancer, it's a lonely word, terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you of Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer.
3: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, AZI, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
4: People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help. And many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific Meal Trains this October. To learn more, visit mealtrain.com/mmt and enter the code Magnolia B, or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer, so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Celgene, Lily Oncology, ASI, and Gilead Sciences. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. With us today is Mama Cax. She's a blogger. An advocate, a motivational speaker, and a model. Mama Kax was 14 years old when she was diagnosed with bone and lung cancer. Eventually, she lost her right egg, leg with an amputation at the hip. Mama Kax, I was visiting your um, Instagram page the other day, and I saw this wonderful
5: mm-hmm.
1: photo you posted of painter Frida Kahlo's prosthetic leg, which was on exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. Could you describe the prosthetic leg for our listeners and tell us what it meant for you to see that displayed at a museum?
2: Yeah, sure. And for anyone who doesn't know, Frida Kahlo is an amazing um, Mexican artist. And she recently had a, an exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum where is it's in honor of her, her life and her work. And her mm-hmm. are these wooden, amazing artwork um, carved with lace dragons at the heel, uh, just like nothing i would ever seen. She was offered of like a, a regular metal prosthetic, and she said she didn't want it, and she commissioned that one, and now it's displayed at the museum right here in Brooklyn. And to me, that, that's such a huge deal, and I feel like those were the kind of stories I wanted to hear right after I had my amputation, but I didn't have that. Um, and I think in my work, I'm happy to be sort of like showing other amputees what life can be like after an amputation, um, but her story's phenomenal. And I think it's important to share those stories so that people can see um, having amputation is not the end of your life.
4: Mm.
2: Mama Kex, your story is
1: phenomenal too. Um, I know you have an amazing collection of prosthetic legs. When did you mm-hmm. start treating your prosthetic leg as as a fashion accessory? Where where, mm-hmm. where do you where do you find them? You ha- And you've got to tell me this. Did you really wrap a string of (laughs) tiny blue lights around your leg for your runway walk uh, at Fashion Week in New York? You've got to fill us in on this.
2: I did. I did. So, I mean, this is something probably almost every person who's had an imputation can tell you. At first, it's sort of like this thing you're ashamed of. Um, Mm -hmm. Many people do not showcase their um, prosthetic leg. It's hidden. It's made to look like the actual thing. I think I just got to a point where I was just tired of it all, tired of pretending, tired of always trying to make sure that everything's perfect. So I think from that moment on, I decided I wanted it to be a work of art. Um, and although I do have only one prosthetic leg, like, I do have several covers. I have 18 of them. Um, they all have intricate designs, different colors. So I match them with my outfit or my mood. Um, and probably three years ago, I got connected with this um, company in Canada that makes covers for prosthetic arms and legs so I've been working with them on and off to create some designs of my own
1: huh, I love that wow amazing amazing
2: um, uh, so
1: along with your appearance at Fashion Week we, you, you, we've seen you appear in, in, in magazines like Vogue, Elle, Glamour did you always want to be a model was that a childhood dream how did that path
2: uh, emerge for you not at all. That was not a group I didn't even think it was a proper career, especially coming from um, the Caribbean. You don't really have too many options. Your parents yeah. want you to, you know, go into clear careers that they can understand what you're doing. You have to be a nurse, a doctor, or a lawyer, that sort of thing. Um, and if I can recall from when I was much younger, I kind of wanted to be like a math teacher. Um, and then afterwards, I guess, I probably switched majors in college, maybe about ten times, but modeling was definitely not anywhere near my radar. Wow,
1: amazing, amazing! I also know that you are a sports enthusiast. You, you like boxing, surfing, rock wall climbing. Yes. Um, girl, you're a badass. I'm just gonna say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> were you always um, in? You know, were you always into sports? Is that something you grew up with? And and yeah, I, guess, I guess I guess people it. would sort of think about how, how do you decide how you're going to participate in these sports, given your amputation?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a sporty um, girl in general. I was in track and field when I was younger, and, and I played basketball. And I guess after my surgery, I just, um, I just thought to myself, okay, I'm never going to be able to do sport anymore, until one day I sort of, like, Googled um, different sports I could do, like adaptive sports, and realized there were... Like I could literally do everything I wanted to, as long as I had the proper equipment. So I ended up joining like a wheelchair basketball team at some point. And unfortunately for me, with my prosthetic, I'm very limited. So I do not do any sort of workout with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so any workout I do is without prosthetic. So in some sports that I've taken up recently are like boxing, surfing, and ice climbing. And I'm actually right now training to complete the New York City Marathon in November.
1: Wow. Unbelievable. Fantastic. Um, we talked earlier about how you coped with your cancer diagnosis as a teenager, but you've also talked about the fact that even today you're continuing to cope. A lot of people, patients, their loved ones don't realize that even years later, they can continue to experience side effects Um from cancer and cancer treatment. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you're willing to talk about that um, with people. What challenges do you face today as a result of, of having cancer so many years later and how do you cope with those challenges?
2: I think a lot of the um, basic stuff are probably from um, drugs uh, I took during my treatment and that would mm-hmm. be sort of like blurry vision that like sort of continue to deteriorate little by little, um, loss of hearing um, those kind of things but for me one major thing at least health wise um, or on my body per se mm-hmm. would be phantom pain which is the mm-hmm. pain you get from like a missing limb and for different people you know they deal with it differently they experience it differently but for me it, it comes and goes and especially this year it's been very severe and just trying to find solution has been quite quite hard um, but I think that's one of been able to use my online community and sort of mm-hmm. just ask people, you know, if they're experiencing the same thing and what are they doing to deal with it. So that's been very helpful. Mm-hmm.
1: hmm I also know, Mama kax that you are an advocate for body positivity. Can you tell us more about that mission and share with us what fuels your advocacy and how you're putting those messages forward?
2: Sure. Um so, Body Positivity is basically a movement that started online, mainly, say, on social media. And it, for a long time, it's been led by plus size women um, demanding sort of, like, more fair representation of bigger women and, you know, pushing bigger women to love themselves and breach their curves. And for me... Um, seeing this whole movement and, you know, just the positivity of it, I just knew there was space to expand it and just, in general, embracing bodies that have been, um, that haven't been represented by the media and that included, like, darker women, women with scars. Um, so I basically took it upon myself to sort of, like, include the disability narrative as part of it or anyone who's had surgery, whether it's, like, a double mastectomy or and imputation, um, knowing that from my own experience I had you know, trouble dealing with the whole thing and then embracing it, and I knew there were other people out there who felt the same way, and we just needed to have a platform and have that community come together. So it's really all about empowering people to embrace themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we are
1: inching towards the uh, end of our End of our time together, Mama Cax. Um, I, I just, I think it's really important if you take just a minute or two to give some advice uh, to, to uh, parents or adults who have maybe a child or an adolescent in their life who's dealing with cancer or who's dealing with an amputation or other challenges, you know, what, what words would you have, first of all, for the parents? And then I'll, the second question is, what, word, what words and, and, and advice do you have for the young person who's dealing with a difficult situation? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think a lot of the advice I would have would probably cater to both someone who's born with it and the parent. Mm -hmm. It would be that um, a lot of the times, young people will not tell their parents everything, and that's the reality of it. A lot of times, it's mostly um, because they don't feel comfortable doing so, or they're really just trying to protect their parents' feelings. Um, Because I remember right after treatment, I got to a point where I was suicidal, but I would. I would have never told my mom that because I knew that would eventually break her. So what's important is that you do get your child a therapist so that they can have someone to talk to and get advice from, but also finding a community of people that they can relate to. So some other people dealing with cancer, if they're other survivors, and if they've had any sort of surgery, finding people who've had those kind of surgeries. I know... Um, at some point, I met a girl who's who had a double amputation after the earthquake in Haiti, mm-hmm. and they had me coming to talk to her because she thought her life was over and that she would not be able to become a doctor or continue on with her life after that. And I was able to show her, well, I'm not a doctor, but I'm doing other things that are pretty cool. And look at me. So it's it's great to have someone that you can relate to
1: those moments must be really emotional for you connecting with these young people.
2: It can be, but, you know, looking at the bigger picture and seeing how, if I'm able to empower them, then they'll be able to do it for someone else pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> X, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your story, um, about your uh, advocacy work, ways that they can keep up with you. Maybe talk a little bit about um, where they can find you on Instagram and, and other places where they can follow your um, amazing story and look for those moments of inspiration with you.
2: Yeah, sure. So I do have a blog. It's mamacax X. Um, it just is my name, M-A-M-A-C-A-X. Um, I frequently post there, but I think the best way is probably through Instagram um, through great visual, I tell stories and talk a little bit about what's happening in my life. And I often do different talks and sit on different panels. So I w- I often post on there about mm-hmm. when and where my panels will be.
1: Terrific, terrific. I want to thank you, Mama Cax, for for talking with us today for sharing your. Amazing story uh, of inspiration. I know you're inspiring so many young people. We've got uh, much more to talk about. I'm Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We have a new guest joining us, Alona Karafin. Uh, don't go away. We'll be back with Alona. And uh, thanks to Mama Cax. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
5: It's a lonely word, terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you of Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer.
3: I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities' Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphitech and its parent company, Azi are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
4: Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, and over Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. or call 617-733-5848.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Agios, Helson & Janssen Oncology. Today we're meeting two incredible women whose childhood cancer diagnoses have fueled their passion and purpose. I'm pleased to welcome Alona Karafin to the show. Alona is a 25-year-old travel writer with a passion for philanthropy, culture, and exploration. As a recent college grad, Alona held a full-time job as a financial analyst in New York City while also traveling the world on long weekends. She only had limited vacation time, but she didn't let that stop her from traveling to her dream destinations. She spends her weekends in places like Paris. Paris, Hong Kong, Lisbon, Geneva, and then shares her stories and travel tips in her blog, Ilona the Explorer. Ilona is now a full-time content creator working to promote various destinations and brands in the travel space through visuals and written pieces. She was 10 years old when she was diagnosed with bone cancer and spent two years in treatment. She dedicates a large portion of her life to help underprivileged children who are battling chronic illnesses. Alona recently launched a project where she takes fellow cancer survivors on dream-come-true trips around the world with her. Welcome to the show, Alona.
7: Thank you for having me. I'm humbled to be here.
1: Alona, we just spent some time with um, Mama Kat, who was diagnosed with cancer at 14. Uh, You were even younger than that, 10 years old. Did you understand... What was happening? Did you even know what cancer was at that age?
7: Yes. Um, unfortunately, many of my family members um, have either been diagnosed with cancer or even passed away from cancer. So when I got the diagnosis, my initial thought was kind of just, that's it. You know, my, my grandparents both died from cancer already at the time. So I was almost certain that, that that's where I was going as well.
1: Wow. Wow. What,
7: at that time at 10 years
1: old, what symptoms were you experiencing that led your parents to take you to the doctor?
7: Well, um, I, was, I was a tomboy growing up. I was always um, in sports and things like that, uh, so I was always falling, always had bruises and, and scabs, and I had a lump that was growing uh, right below my right knee, and I just kind of thought that I probably fell, and, and I have a bruise, and it's stole up. Um, And then it reached a point where in school, when we had to sit on the floor and cross our legs during reading time, I couldn't do it one day. Uh, Mm. So I decided to tell my dad that night, and my father is actually a physician and Mm. he felt it. And he basically knew right away that it was a tumor. Um, And then the next day we went straight to my pediatrician who took my blood work and did confirm in fact that it is a tumor. Um, sent me in for a biopsy, and and I got my diagnosis as Ewing sarcoma pretty much that same week. And then at that
1: point, what was your your prognosis, and what was the sort of treatment plan that they put in place for you?
7: Well. Initially, my biggest concern was that I was going to lose all my hair. Um, they told me that, I, my doctors told me I needed a year or a year and a half of chemotherapy, depending on the prognosis, after a certain period of time. Um, and then I ultimately had around two dozen operations between my legs to get rid of the tumor, as well as you know, all of the consequent infections that I kept getting, uh, as well as the port that they had to to, to put inside of me to give me medication, as well as other minor operations. Uh, so they told me that essentially, if I waited another week or two to tell my father that I would have most likely been an amputee. Um, mm. But because we caught it semi-late, but still early mm. enough, um, I still have my leg, but it, it's pretty badly severed.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Alona, you credit your parents with helping you stay calm and really optimistic while in treatment. Um, What did they do that helped you cope? Tell us about that.
7: Yes, for sure. I I think uh, establishing some sort of level of normalcy is incredibly important when you have a child with a chronic illness. Um, I think the, the number one thing that my parents did very well was that they didn't show any emotions of, you know, distress or sadness or concern around me. Um, so, at all times, I really, even during the worst of my infections or during the times where I was throwing up and uncontrollably, um, everyone just acted like that was the normal course of action. You know, I've never seen my parents cry, I've, I've never seen my mom concerned, at least not in front of me, and throughout the entire course of my treatment, I, I've always thought that things are going well because no one is concerned. Um, But on top of that, you know, they always just made me feel comfortable in my own skin. I was always able to talk and communicate with everyone in my family. Um, You know, they always brought me gifts and, and brought me my favorite things and made me my favorite food. So things like that, plus the normalcy factor, really just made the experience great, to be honest with you. And I think that's something that people don't usually expect me to say about my cancer journey.
1: I know that you have shared with us that you had a really hard time returning to middle school um, after your your treatment. So tell us about that time and, and, and how were you able to handle that, you know, difficult situation? Did you have friends around you, family around you? How did you get kind of reintegrated um, after missing that period of school? Yes.
7: Um, well, it, it was a difficult, I've had many dark times in my life at that time because I obviously looked very different than all the kids that were, especially all the girls that were coming into uh, junior high school. And of course, mm-hmm. that, that time period when you're becoming a teenager, when everyone was experimenting with different hairstyles and makeup, I had no hair, you know, I had no, no eyebrows even to, to experiment with makeup. <laughs> um, so at the same time, when girls were starting to get the attention of boys, I, obviously wasn't getting that attention and of course it brought me down um but i i had a pretty strong personality my entire life i never really let it show to the general public but to me it was a very dark time um likewise i was missing many lessons and i was catching up with uh, the social workers in the hospitals on um on the lessons that we were doing in school um, mm-hmm. I had a group of friends, and my, my teachers and all of the teachers throughout all of the schools that I was in when I was six, um, elementary and junior high school, they were very supportive and they were very well aware of my situation. Uh, but then there were those bad apples that bullied me for being bald or for limping or just for the way that I looked overall. Um, and those words, I can't lie, they still stay with me and I still remember many of them. Uh, but over time, you just learn to be a better person than those people were. And yeah. that's, that's the best way to look at that situation.
1: You know, Elena, Mama Kax talked to us about, um, she really shared that she's still, you know, even in her later 20s is coping with her cancer diagnosis today as, a, a, as an adult, both emotional and still physical and kind of long-term side effects from her treatment. Um, is that true for you too? Does your cancer still present any challenges for you?
7: Um, I think all the challenges at this point are in my head, really, because, yes, my my leg is very severely damaged and um, I don't have one of the bones, um, one of the main bones in my leg, and consequently it's a lot thinner than my other one. And, yeah, uh, of course, I'm still uncomfortable showing it in many situations. Um, I still hide it and I cover up. Uh, But it's all mental, and, you know, I know that it's mental, and I think it'll just continue taking time um, and perhaps some sort of treatment efforts to figure out how I could stop caring about what other people think, essentially, yeah. um, and just to stop the eyes from, from coming at me. From, from a physical perspective, I could really do almost anything. Um, I can't wear heels, unfortunately, so mm-hmm. <laughs> that, 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 that's the main thing that I really miss. Um, but physically I could really do anything that I want. I work out, I, I, I stay fit, um, but I am in bad still to this day, and I'm not sure if I will ever get over it 100%. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, now I want to turn to your travel for a minute before we come up to our first break. Um, you travel all over the world, and you draw a direct link for your ability to connect with people when you travel to that cancer experience, that young experience. Um, How have you taken that painful situation and turned it into a way to connect with people really around the globe?
7: Uh, What my diagnosis really taught me is that every single person is dealing with something in their lives. Um, And I know this is a cliche statement to not judge a book by its cover, but when you travel, that that's just the reality. When you're traveling, you need to have an open mind. Um, you need to be able to connect with people based on that initial judgment that everyone is going through something. And that's why I love traveling so much. The more that I go around the world and I visit all these different pockets of you know, different socioeconomic structures um, and people from all types of backgrounds, and I realize that we're all so similar. Um, and, and that just brings me... So much emotion and so much happiness, and I continue striving to do it more and more. And I talk about it a lot in my work um, because I want people to be I want people to be as open minded as they possibly can be, and I want them to learn more and more about the people that they communicate with when they travel.
1: Um, when yeah, when you travel, do you share about your cancer experience with people that you meet in your journeys?
7: I do. Yes, I'm very open about um, my diagnosis and my experience, and um, I think it's a wonderful icebreaker. And usually, people open up a lot more to me as well once I share my story. Of course.
1: Yeah, that's uh, amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, we're we're gonna take a, a quick break here. We've got um, a lot more to discuss. Uh, with uh, with Ilona, um, I know Ilona. When we come back, I um, I, I want to hear about uh, I want to hear about some of your favorite uh, spots that you've been to, and I I want to talk a little bit more about your blog, Ilona, the Explorer, um, because I know you really show people with even a small amount of time and a small budget that they can travel near and far, they can experience the world and, and, and diversity and culture. And I think that's great because I think a lot of times people do think that that travel is an overwhelming experience. You have to have a ton of time, a ton of money to do it. Um, and, and also when we get back, Ilona, I want to take a minute or two to talk about the um, Caraphane Cancer Foundation, the foundation that you um, have established to really inspire folks. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer and um, we've got a lot more to discuss with Ilona. We're gonna take a quick break Don't go away. We'll be right back.
5: Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors, links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you of Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer.
3: Hi. I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities' Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azai, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
4: People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Mealtrain sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB, or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the ASI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848.
0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Pharma. Taiho Oncology and Takeda Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We've been having an incredible conversation with Ilona Karafin. Alona, so I'm just going to tell you, full disclosure, I'm an avid traveler, uh, amateur photographer, <laughs> and um, I'm really impressed with how you've managed to explore places like Bali, Portugal, Dubai over a long weekend. And if your photos on Instagram or anything to go by, you're having a phenomenal time. No jet lag in sight, by the way. I've just finished my goal. I've <laughs> now. I've now been to all fifty states, fifty countries, and all seven continents. So um, wow. uh, I, I know i'm ma- I'm making my way around the globe. I am a little older than you, so uh, <laughs> but um,
7: I know I' enough so sp- to do.
1: I know, exactly. Well, you've got time, don't worry. Um, but I know speaking for myself and our listeners, I'd love to hear your sort of top three tips on how you hit the ground running, really enjoy visiting a new country or, or city for a long weekend and how you make the most of it. Just give us three tips uh, for, for folks to take away today.
7: Yeah, well, the first, tip, uh, first thing first, travel and vacation is not the same thing, right? So when you're traveling on long weekends, um, you're not going to a destination to relax. So when I talk about long weekend travel, I talk about really flying out on, let's say, maybe a Wednesday night and coming back on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday night um, on a red-eye flight completely and utterly booked out from, from morning to nighttime. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I create itineraries um, prior most of the time prior to my trips. I have a plan A, plan B, and plan C in case something goes wrong. I always have something else to do. Um, and I can tell you that not only does this help with overall budget um, but you could also get more done in four days than most people get done in like a week um, mm-hmm. and the, the glory of long weekend travel is that you could do it quite often so rather than taking one or two weeks or uh, 10 day periods off a year depending on your your allocated time off you could take two days off multiple times a year right like Three, four months in a year, you could take two days off, combine it with a weekend, and there you go. That's four or five countries right there. Um, So second of all, I say budgeting is very important, so keeping an open mind. Um, My most important tip is I really fly to places that are affordable to me rather than only places that I want to go to. So I look for flights that are within my budget for a specific date range that I'm um, available to travel during. Um, and I just go there. I go with an open mind, whatever's available and whatever fits my budget. That's what I do. And I, I really encourage others to do the same. I love
1: it. I love it. And your blog is called at the Explorer. Where can folks find that?
7: Yes, it's online, com, And all of my social media handles, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, all has quite different content um all under the same handle
1: great okay excellent excellent so alona um you began fundraising to help people with cancer when you were a teenager and now as a young adult um you've incorporated your foundation the carefin cancer foundation you have chosen to put everything sort of behind you you're kind of moving forward with this effort what inspired you to take the first step um to do this and tell us about the foundation and how folks can learn more
7: Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I've been fundraising, I've been trying to give back ever since basically I was in junior high school after my diagnosis, um, starting from very small fundraisers, to a couple of hundred dollars, and up until fundraisers where we raised $70,000 within a two-month period. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, the train of thought behind that um, is that if I have a $1,000 donation to make to a large corporation, it's not going to move the needle. Right. But if I take a thousand dollars and I give it to a family of a single mom who has a child battling cancer and she has to work and support the child, a thousand dollars could really change the entire trajectory of her life. Um, So that's kind of the basis of what um, of what the and Cancer Foundation is all about. Um, Now, with my following, I do multiple crowdfunding efforts throughout the year for different families. um, And I tell their story, I present visuals, and I constantly follow up with different pictures and and what they're going through basically on a day-to-day basis. And I encourage my readers, my followers, family, friends uh, to donate. And people literally donate as little as $5, $10, and it really just goes the distance um i've done fundraisers in ukraine i've done fundraisers in poland in the united states and it's really tremendous how much even a couple of thousand dollars could go for for an underprivileged family um or an underserved family medically somewhere abroad
1: and is there sort of an application process for that or what's the website for that how can folks learn more about how they can um you know get involved
7: the website is checkmatecancer.org. That was actually the name of our first project, and that's the DBA of the Caraphin Cancer Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually, there, there's no application process. Um, it, potential recipients email my team or myself, and we review each case by case. Um, there's also a lot of word of mouth. Uh, And, yeah, so it's a case-by-case basis, and I I typically, if I don't find the family on my own through various social media channels, then families reach out to me.
1: Got it. Got it. Um, We're getting close to the end of the show, Ilona, but I want to make sure we have a few minutes for you to, um, to really give some advice and some words of inspiration if we have people listening today who are diagnosed, especially young people. Um, you know, in your situation, give them advice for, you know, kind of some tips for how to get through that, that difficult time of treatment and dealing with that, you know, sort of active time. And then how do you kind of find yourself afterwards and find your path?
7: Uh, yeah, so the first thing I would say on the most important thing is to really find an outlet um, where you could talk about what you're going through, right? Starting from a journal or a diary where you could really just, everything out, everything that you're feeling. Um, So talking to your parents or having a friend to confide in or even finding a therapist um, if Mm -hmm. if you feel like you can't confide in people that are close to you. But the importance of talking about what's just on your mind is it, it, it really could go the distance. And you know, to be honest with you, that's a mistake that I've done when I was younger, because I did bottle up many things that I feel like transpired now into my adulthood. Um, so if I could go back and change any one thing, it would be to talk more, to open up more, to write about it more, and to really just be transparent, as difficult as it is. There's no judgment in this world. You know, when you have a diagnosis, there's nobody judging you on anything that you say, whether, whether, you feel suicidal or whether, you know, you're unhappy with the way you look, Mm -hmm. it's so important to talk about it. Um, And two, I would say to always keep busy, you know, find something, find an interesting activity, um, build, you know, and and build up on that. And eventually I feel like it should should work into this world of exploration, kind of like it did with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And to just really experience life, To the fullest, everything that it has to offer. There are so many interesting things that you could do, so many interesting hobbies, so many places to see, just do as many of them as you can.
1: Absolutely. I think it's great advice. Um, Alona, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your story with us, Um, really inspirational Uh, I also want to remind our listeners that at the Cancer Support Community we have a whole range of free support and education and navigation services for people with all cancers at any stage of disease, Um, you can find uh, our 47 centers that we have around the country online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org we have a whole list of all of our wonderful locations uh, around the country, if you would like to just chat with somebody by phone aloni you talked about uh, maybe needing to connect with someone you can give us a call at 888-793-9355 that's 888-793-9355 this is frankly speaking about cancer thanks for joining today until next time be well do well live well